Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And this week we have a little tasty treat, a little tasty, tasty treat. I actually made a mistake. I have to admit, Amy. Mistakes. Yes, I was planning. We do plan episodes occasionally for this podcast. We try. And I was planning to do this for St. Patrick's Day because the last episode came out on St. Patrick's Day. As you can see, this is not St. Patrick's Day because I miscalculated gravely. Well, that's because numbers are hard and fortnights are confusing. Yeah, we do English, not math. Correct. But the reason we were going to do it for St. Patrick's Day is because Oscar Wilde, our boy, is an Irish poet. He's my favorite Irish poet. I think that your favorite Irish poet is... Oh my god, why am I forgetting his name? Gulliver's Travels. Jonathan Swift. He's not really a poet, he's more of a writer. Was I saying poet? You were. He's an Irish writer. He's not a poet at all. I don't know what's happening today, it's fine. My favorite Irish poet, I think, is Hoser. Is he Irish? Yeah. Oh. Did you not know? Is that why he sings about bog bodies? The take me to church guy, yeah. 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 He also sings about bog bodies. Also, yes. You know, bogs where people don't decompose. Yeah. Get pickled, idiot. Okay, Um. so we're talking about... Oscar Wilde. We are. This is like our second foray into Mr. Wilde's things. Yes. If you would like to hear more background on like the author himself, you can listen to our The Importance of Being Earnest episode, which was a very fun time. It was very peanut gallery-y. You'll like it. You like short intros. <laughs> That's sass because we're going back to doing clean language at the end, where it was when we started the podcast, of yep. course, because people don't like when we yammer on. So we're going to yammer on right now. Anyway, Oscar Wilde, um, just a brief little thing. He was gay and he ended up being jailed and excommunicated from the church because his partner's father ratted him out, which is a big dick move. It's almost like he couldn't be taken to church. I'm like so upset. You wanted peanut gallery. I can't believe you've done this. Okay. But honestly, though, don't out people. Yeah. It's not very cash money. That's not to our listenership. It's just as a general rule, because of course, our listenership are perfect and flawless and we love you guys so much. But today we're talking about the picture of Dorian Gray, more like the picture of Dorian Gay. Am I right? You are right. So... The Picture of Dorian Gray is Oscar Wilde's one and only novel. I want to say it was the first thing I read by him, but I might be lying. You'd be wrong. I think. Okay. Because <laughs> I think you read this in third year. I thought I read it in high school. Oh, I didn't know you back then. For fun. <laughs> for fun? Oh, okay. Yeah, I read it for fun. I read it casually. Well, then I am wrong. And that is fine. We need to own up. It's okay. Sometimes everyone is wrong sometimes. And sometimes Amy doesn't watch the movie. That's why we have an unsighted podcast. I forgot to do my homework again. Whoops. It's okay. Amy's going to peanut gallery for us. Yeah. Tell me more. So the picture of Dorian Gray starts out with a preface. I would love to know if this was written before or after it came out. I think it was written before it came out. It's by Oscar Wilde. Wait. <laughs> You're telling me the preface to a book that was written by Oscar Wilde was also written by Oscar Wilde. Yes. <laughs> Imagine if his last name was Wilde. You can call him that if you would like. That's very 2020 of me. Remember Yeats? Yeats. Yeats. Okay. The preface came out after the book. So it was like an addendum? It was a response to criticism. Oh, one of those. Okay. Tell me more, Mr. Wilde. I'm just going to read it to you because it's in the public domain and okay. it's quite a trip. It's like if you walk into a bar and there's a big sign that's like, this bar is not for people who come into our bar and are rude to the bartender, okay? 
Karen. So just come to the bar, order a drink like a regular person, and don't put your drinks on the floor and make everyone's shoes sticky, okay? But like right like on the front door before you walk into the bar. My local Starbucks needs that because there was this fucking businessman dude with bad shoes who yelled at a poor barista not that she's poor just poor her i get it i'm telling this because starbucks does not pay enough for this bullshit and he just yelled at her and i really thought that there should be a be nice to the people making your coffee because they have the power to make a decaf (laughs) i really feel like that should be a universal rule in general is just be nice to the people you interact with especially service workers who are providing you a service that you want that you want to not get kicked out of and if you're mean to them you should automatically be kicked out of that business i mean the golden rule is do unto others how you would like things to be done unto you poetic (laughs) a lot of people are unfamiliar with that rule yeah clearly but anyways i gave that guy a death stare i was like you're mean and then when i held the door open for him accidentally i told him you didn't need to be that rude and then i walked away nice oh my gosh that's amazing then i had a panic attack oh but i bet it was worth it yeah i wish that we could leave like yelp reviews for fellow customers like you know how uber drivers can leave you a rating yeah like i wish that your barista could leave you a rating also yeah you never did online dating because you're a swan but a lot of guys would put their like uber rating like their uber customer rating in their bios and i was always like ick to buy it not that ick was a thing (laughs) at the time but like i was i believe the term was irked at the time just one letter away because i was just always like why are we here i mean if oscar wilde was giving us the reader an uber rating he would automatically be giving us a one star zero if i could before we even (laughs) interact with him ready yeah okay this is the preface. The artist is the creator of beautiful things. To reveal art and conceal the artist is art's aim. The critic is he who can translate into another manner or a new material his impression of beautiful things. The highest as the lowest form of criticism is a mode of autobiography. Those who find ugly meanings in beautiful things are corrupt without being charming. This is a fault. Those who find beautiful meanings in beautiful things are the cultivated. For these, there is hope. They are the elect to whom beautiful things mean only beauty. There is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well-written or badly written. That is all. And then he goes on a little thing about like realism and romanticism. So Oscar Wilde said both death of the author and also stop banning books in one sentence. Uh, Yeah. He goes on a rant about symbolism too. He's like, all art is at once surface and symbol. Those who go beneath the surface do so at their own peril. Those who read the symbol do so at their peril. It is the spectator and not life that art really mirrors. Oh, so like you get the interpretation of what the thing is based on your belief. Kind of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't ban drag shows because you're insecure. (laughs) Yeah, it's like if you see pride as a sex fest then that is a you problem like is is the whole wedding industry not a heteronormative sex fest too though i just i'm so mad about the wedding industry oh tell me about it so you know the garter thing you know the garter thing is already way too much yeah i've already decided never to do it in my life yeah hate it don't like it already know that the veil thing removing the veil is like a symbol for the hymen yeah not doing that no well i'll be wearing one but i won't be like moving it around it's just because it looks pretty i just found out that like the pudding cake on the face thing is like a innuendo for like 
Oh, yuck. Yeah, we're doing great. Okay, Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. So, yeah, so we basically was like, if you're reading this to criticize it and to analyze it, heck off. Like, what are you doing? Go away. So basically, heck off to us. What are we doing? Go away. This has been a great episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh, I'm glad that we really skipped over the whole introduction thing. Here's the thing. If people just let us have a long introduction, we don't interject random weird facts about the wedding industry. That's where it belongs. So I'll tell you what the book is about. Okay. Yeah. Right. There's so much to the book that I think we can probably just analyze as we go along. Can I make an observation on what I think it's going to be about? I would love if you made an observation. Okay. So Sean, if you will. That's a Reddit on Wiki thing. No one probably knows. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't overthink it. Just vibes. So I think it's about this guy, Dorian Gray. Dorian Gay some might say, who is like this immortal vampire-ish guy, right? Uh Who has a picture of himself and he can't look at it or else he'll get real old. Kind of like you can't look at a mirror, but this painting. And it's real old painting. And then he has like a a young man um, who comes to his house and then he sees a picture and then he's like, wait, is that you? And he's like, don't look at it. That's me. And then he turns to dust. Okay. Like, you're not right. <laughs> you're not completely wrong, but you're also very much not correct. <laughs> and that's what I learned from pop culture. <laughs> okay. So Dorian Gray, it starts off with, actually not Dorian Gray. He's not there at all. It starts off with two of our friends, Lauren Henry, who sometimes is called Harry. It's a nickname. Just go with it. And his bestie friend, Basil. Um, Basil. E-L? Hmm? Like B-A-S-E-L? Like spelled like basil, the herb. Okay, I'm questioning his validity. So Basil is an artist. Chapter one is basically like just Oscar Wilde quips. Just back to back to back. Oscar Wilde's just observations about the world. Really just most of them not nice that Lord Henry is saying because him and his friend Basil are hanging out. Okay, so like they're just like shooting the shit. Yeah, but mostly Henry. Okay. (laughs) He's like thinking ruins the features. And that's why old scholars are so unattractive, but like church people are so attractive because they don't think. (laughs) I mean, where's the lie? Have you seen a PhD candidate who like looks their age? (laughs) He also believes that married people should keep secrets to each other. And the secret to a great marriage is to not tell your spouse anything significant or real. He doesn't tell his wife anything true and he doesn't believe any of the things she tells him. And he just firmly believes that that like all the things they say to each other are just BS the whole time. And he's like, she's much better at it than I am. And it's like, yeah, because she's probably telling the truth. <laughs> Lord Hank over here isn't doing too great in the like touch with reality. He like really doesn't like his wife and he doesn't spend very much time with her at all. And I'm almost certain it's because he's gay. Kay. And I think Basil is gay as well because he is really infatuated with this young man that he didn't want to tell Henry about. But he had the painting sitting there that he was like in the middle of painting and it's of Dorian and Henry's like who's this hot fella? I feel like if these two were born in a different time they would like describe themselves as old queens. Mm. You know? 
Yeah. Henry also believes that good women have no appreciation for men's good looks, but men do. Oh, buddy. Yeah. Hun. <laughs> so we're there. That's where we are. Okay. So, so far, everyone's gay. Right, yeah. Then Henry talks Basil into letting him stay and meet Dorian, which Basil doesn't want to do because when he is really into someone, he wants to keep them all for himself. Tell me you're creepy, Basil, without telling me you're creepy. <laughs> so then Dorian shows up. He's going to sit for a portrait. Henry starts going off with all his little Oscar Wilde quips. And Dorian's like, oh, isn't this man fascinating? Dorian is often portrayed as like one of the marauders, right? Like that, those scenes from, he's like young, serious, I think. He's very young. Okay. He's very, very young. I would say he's probably like 18. Okay. Freesh. Like a shabakadu. Maybe even 17, but probably 18. For legal reasons, he's 18. He's going to stand for this portrait, finish the portrait. And Basil is like, Henry, okay, you've met him. Now buzz off. And Henry's like, oh, Dorian, wouldn't you prefer if I stay? <laughs> and then Dorian says, oh, no, you have to stay. It's very funny. He's like the worst wingman. <laughs> He's like, have you met Henry? It's me. I'm Henry. I'm going to give you a little spoiler for the rest of the book. Kay. Is that for the rest of the book, Henry is like the little devil on Dorian's shoulder. And Basil is the little angel on Dorian's shoulder. Okay. And that's just their, their whole relationship. They both are into him. Kay. But Basil is more into Dorian. Dorian, and then Dorian is, becomes really infatuated with Lord Henry. Ah, weird triangle. Because he, he can show him the world. Uh-huh. So he, like is saying all this stuff about like youth and beauty and the meaning of life. He gives Dorian an existential crisis and then he has to like go sit in the garden to take some air and Henry follows him out there to give him existential crisis part two. Uh So he like is telling him about the fleetingness of youth and how one day he is not going to have his beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous and hot face. And so you should take care of it, you hot young man. (laughs) That's like when my coworkers are like, Amy, you need to start using oil on your face. I'm like, no, it's fine. I just use a washcloth to wash my face. And they're like, please, for the love of God, wear a moisturizer. And I'm like, I'm fine. They're like, do you want to keep your skin? I'm like, it's fine. It's already oily. And they're like, I don't care. You at least need to be wearing sunscreen. Put an SPF on there. I do when I go outside. Okay. Much like Dorian, I don't, right? Dorian was in the sun and Henry was like, you're going to get a tan and it's going to ruin your skin. You should get out of the sun because sunscreen doesn't exist yet. Only parasols. So basically your coworkers. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, your youth's going to go away and then you're just going to be an old man and you're going to wish that you had this hot face and you're going to get older and older and all of your your sins are going to show on your face and you're going to explore the world and you're going to love it, but you're going to be weird looking. So enjoy being hot because it's not going to last. Right. And he's like, oh my gosh, Basil is like obsessed with me. I love having someone infatuated with me and all my good looks are going to go away. What am I going to do? Whatever will we do? So he goes and he stands for the rest of the portrait. Basil finishes it. He comes to look at it and he has existential crisis part three because now he actually believes that he truly is so hot because that's how Basil sees him. Okay. So then he has like this big rant about like how he wishes that he would not get old and crusty and it was the painting that took on like his age and sins instead and he would stay young and beautiful forever. So like the vampire conspiracy theory I had? Yes. Very similar. But he is allowed to look on the painting. Oh, okay. And he does so often. Uh, So it's not a Lady of Shalott thing. No. He's fine with that. It's just he has to deal with the fact that he can see his sins on his face. It's not a Dorian of shall not look at my hot face a lot. (laughs) 
Uh, so he then goes on. He's living his life. He still is kind of having an existential crisis, but because now he's got this really hot painting of himself and he's like, oh, wish I could be hot forever, but I won't be. And he falls in love with this woman. She is an actress. Her name is Sybil Vick. Kay. She acts in different plays every night, which I feel like I don't know if like theater used to work differently than it does now, but she's literally like acting in a different Shakespeare play every single night. And I feel like dress rehearsals and stuff, you're only able to really put on one or two shows at a time. Interesting. It just seems inefficient. It does seem inefficient. I feel like it must be how theater just used to be because Oscar Wilde is a playwright by trade. So he must know how theater works, right? Unless it's a critique of the theater and how they just wanted to churn out something new every night and they didn't care about the actual craft. Maybe because everyone but Sybil is kind of crap at it. Cool. Sybil's amazing. She's the best at everything she does. She's so beautiful. She becomes the characters on stage. She truly believes she is Juliet. He witnesses her love and live and die every night. He loves her. She calls him Prince Charming. That's all anyone else knows him by in her life. Okay, that's like when I used to make up names for my Tinder dates and stuff. Yeah, it's like um, in middle school when people would be like, oh, Pineapple just texted me. That's what she does with like her family and stuff. (laughs) Except they also don't know his name at all. She knows his first name. He goes back and he tells Henry and Basil about this. And Henry's very disappointed. He's like, you're not in love. You're going to love a thousand people. You're not in love with me. Therefore, you cannot be in love. I mean, he is. He's very imaginated with Henry as well. But now he's into Sybil Vane. Dorian Bai does not have the same ring to it. He is the most bi person I've ever seen in literature, though. Barring people who were canonically bi. Okay, cool, cool. So he brings Henry and Basil to the theater one night. And oh my God, does she ever suck? She sucks so bad. All her line delivery is flat. She looks boring. And he gets so mad. He's just standing there like so incensed. And his friends leave and he stays and he's like, what the hell was that? And she's like, oh, I realized that my love for you is real. I used to believe my life on the stage was real, but now it's not anymore because I've experienced real love. So I cannot act anymore. How many unhinged people are in this play? Not a one person is hidden. Okay. Maybe one. She does some Lady of Shalott into her textuality here. Okay, good, good. She's like, I have only known shadows before you. Oof. Girl, you gotta live for yourself. Yeah. She's like, does her little reverse method actor thing. Jared Leto would like to have a word. And he's like, okay, well, you know what love is now and you're gonna know what heartbreak is because I'm breaking up with you because you suck. (laughs) <laughs> Oof. Okay, Mr. Dorian. And he breaks up with her and he leaves. Girl tells you she loves you and now all of a sudden you are like, peace out. That's great. There's going to be a content warning for suicide. So if you don't want to hear about that, skip forward about a minute. He goes home. He's like so mad that she embarrassed him in front of his friends. And then he hears word from Henry the next day that after the play, she killed herself. He is distraught. He doesn't know how he could have done this. He broke her heart and he caused her death. And then Henry's like, no, no, this is actually good, actually, because now she can just be a romantic memory instead of someone who let you down. Oh, my fucking God. This bitch. And I do not say this lightly right now. Why is this piece of shit human being? (laughs) Oh, 
Does Henry die? Um, do you want me to spoil it? I ho- does he die? No. Does he get old and wrinkly? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. And Dorian is like, oh, actually, you know, it is probably fine. And he moves on with his life. I don't like Dorian. Oh, I forgot to mention in between here is where he sees the painting change for the first time. Okay, so the painting is magic. Yes, the painting is magic. His prayer somehow put his life force into it. That or whoever named their fucking child Basil. It was a little bit of a hippie. It's like Basil Hears a Noise from Sesame Street. Sure. You know Basil Hears a Noise from Sesame Street. Sure. Sure. It's not an uncommon English name. But he, he the reason he wasn't like picking up his letters or like answering his calls or anything is because he was too distracted because this painting had a cruelty to the mouth now. Okay. And he was like, I can't be imagining this. Something is going on with this painting. So he like goes through this whole rigmarole to like bring it up to his old schoolroom and he's amazing make sure he's the only one with the key. In the attic. Not exactly, but yes, effectively. It's a room in the upstairs of his house near where his bedroom is that is very dusty. Like an attic. Like an attic. It's like a storage room, but it used to be his schoolroom and stuff. Where his youth went to die. <laughs> he moves on with his life and he's like, I wonder if, curiosity's sake, for scientific purposes, if the cruelty to the mouth is like happened the moment that she died or if it happened because I rejected her. I wonder if it is about like the intent of my action or the consequence of my action. Mm-hmm. Just curious. And then he goes out to the theater and stuff with Henry because he's a piece of garbage. Yeah. Hot garbage, but garbage nonetheless. Basil comes and he's like, oh, Dorian, I can't imagine what you must be feeling. Oh, this is so upsetting. And Dorian's like, I'm fine. I'm actually fine. If you had come and seen me yesterday, I would have not been fine. But today, I'm like so fine. You have no idea. I am A-OK. Everything is fine. This picture has not changed. Don't talk to me. You are named after (laughs) a herb. (laughs) And Basil's like, Dorian, that is absolutely terrible. You're a terrible person for being fine. And Dorian's like, wow, you came here to cheer me up and you found me already cheered up and now you're upset? I don't understand. Why are you upsetting your spaghetti, Basil? Because (laughs) you are supposed to be in spaghetti? I don't know why I'm being so mad to Basil because like he is the best character here. He's the nicest and best character, yeah. So he realizes that Dorian is not the person that he once was. Henry has changed him irreparably. And this is very upsetting to him because Dorian was his muse. He was like Dante Gabriel Rossetti painting Dorian's face as Hercules, as like Aristotle, like as a bunch of different people. And now he's like, my muse is no longer my muse, but he's still so hot. Don't you hate it when they're evil, but they're hot? Then we move forward. Dorian goes through like this montage of a bunch of different years and we hear like the rumors of what he's been doing that he's been like hooking up with women. He does something with men and then they fall out of society somehow. Something happens with them. Cool. Anyway, he's in league with thieves and there's all these rumors. But then from his perspective, we see him just kind of doing normal things. Like he gets so bored because he's going through so many years and he doesn't have like a job or anything because he's just a rich guy. Rich people problems. Oh, we get so many lists. I feel like we're trying to meet a word count in this chapter, actually, because we go through so many lists. It like lists all the books he's collecting. It lists like a bunch of artifacts that he's collected, like a bunch of art. I'm like, why are we reading this? I could skip over it if it was a, a word book. Yeah. <laughs> but I was listening to it as an audiobook. Oh, God. So it's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why, this is so long. Peak Victorian is what I think it is. Yeah, for sure. And then 
one day Basil comes back and he's like, Dorian, there's all these rumors about you. They can't be true. Please tell me they're not true. I wish I could see your soul so that I could know that they were not true because I'm sure they can't be because if you sin this much, it would show on your face. Oh, but Basil, you have a <laughs> painting that was bewitched. To which Dorian is like, ha 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 ha, this is the only person I can actually tell. So he like brings him up to the room. Basil like freaks out. He's like, whoa, how can this be? This must be a forgery. What is going on? And Dorian like explains to him that the prayer, whatever he made, came true, where it's the painting that takes on all his sins and each, which is believable because it's now been like 18 years. Right. That's kind of interesting, though, because like it's usually, you know, rich people will wear their sins on their faces, but you see them in the portraits as being like still young and youthful and cool. But it's like the opposite. It's like the turns have tabled. That's a very good observation. Thank you. you I wonder if it's a commentary on that. Probably. About how like the wealthy aim to preserve their youth through paintings. That's what he's worried about actually is that exact thing happening yeah so he tells basil so he tells basil and then basil's like oh my gosh i can't believe this happened and then he's like ha 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 you know what'd be funny if you died and then he murders basil what the fuck (laughs) and i was like wait what why does he murder pizza man So he kills the angel on his shoulder, literally. Because he saw the painting? I don't know. He wasn't planning to do it. It's like something comes over him in the moment where he's like, I just feel like I want to do this right now. And then does he like turn around, see the painting, goes, it's changed again. It's covered in blood now. The hands have red on them. So he goes out. He's like, okay, well, logically, no one's going to realize Basil is gone for a while because he was supposed to be going to France for six months. So I have six months to get rid of the evidence before people start looking for this guy. The evidence being the body. The the body and all his belongings. So he goes to sleep. He wakes up the next day. He has a normal morning for some reason. And then he calls up his friend, his friend who is a doctor. His friend who is a doctor on whom he has something. Because this guy shows up and he's like, no, I won't do it. I would never get rid of a body for you. What the heck? And he's like, you have to. I killed him. He's like, okay, but that's worse. Like, you get it out. That's worse, right? And then Dorian's like, what if I show you this thing that I'm writing on a little piece of paper and then sliding across the table to you? What about then? I have a theory, and the theory is obviously correct, that since Dorian would be going down for the murder, if this guy doesn't help him, he's saying like, I'll let people know that we slept together. Right. And then you will also go to jail. Right. Because it's illegal to be gay at this time. Yeah. So the guy's like, okay, well, I guess I have to then. So he like orders some materials and he spends the day seven hours dissolving this guy or burning him or something. And then he's done and he's like, okay, never talk to me again. Yeah, fucking fair. He also later loses his life under mysterious circumstances. What a coinkadink. Not done by Dorian. I guess it's guilt. But yeah, Dorian moves forward. He's like, okay, now I'm good. But he's not good because he's got all this guilt. Because he's evil. And he doesn't like seeing the red on his painting. Mm-hmm. So he decides he's going to go to an opium den. That's going to solve your problems. Yeah. All problems can be solved by drugs. Unsighted 2023. <laughs> Don't do drugs. Um, anyway, he goes to an opium den. Yeah. He runs into a woman that he has ruined. Of course. And she's all like, Prince Charming. Oof. And who is to hear that but Sybil's brother who swore if Dorian ever hurt her, he would kill him. So he's been tracking him down for 18 years and he just chanced to hear this. You killed my sister. My name is James Vane. You killed my sister. Prepare to die. And he has that little moment following Dorian out into the alley. And Dorian's like, wait, how 
long has it been since your sister died? Because you said you've been tracking the killer for a while. And James is like, 18 years. And he's like, ha 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 ha. Put me under the lamp. And James is like, okay. So he does and isn't like an 18 year old. Fucking. He's like, okay, well, you would have been a baby (laughs) at the time. I hate, I hate this. I hate it. Keep going. (laughs) And Dorian escapes. And the woman comes out and she's like, why did you let him go? You should have killed him. He's the worst. And James is like, he was just a kid. He's not the murderer I'm looking for. And she's like, he ruined me. He ruined me 18 years ago. And James is like, what? Hmm? Say what now? What? And he looks for him, but he can't find him. We go on to an estate. Mm -hmm. Dorian and Henry are out hunting with a bunch of nobles. Fucking English people hunting. Okay, keep going. I know. I know. And they see this rabbit. And Dorian's like, hey, that looks like a rabbit who has like a want to live. Unlike every other rabbit. Oh, yeah, of course. But don't shoot that rabbit. And the guy's like, haha, you dumbass. And he shoots into the bush where the rabbit went. And then he hears a man cry out. Uh Uh-huh. And he killed the man. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, it was just a peasant. It was just a servant. It wasn't your fault. Obviously, it's fine. And Dorian goes back and he's like, okay, this guy probably had a family. I'll set his affairs in order. I'll give his family whatever money they want, even though I don't care about this guy as a person that much. And the guy's like, no, we didn't know this guy. He didn't work for me. He looked like a sailor. And it was James. It was James Vane who tracked him down to the country house. (sighs) And Dorian's like, okay, well, that's good, actually. It's okay. I'm safe. I've been leading on this girl in the country and I was going to ruin her but I'm going to turn over a new leaf. He breaks it off with her. Henry's like, okay, but she's never going to love anyone else because she's been into this really young, hot, hot, very sexy nobleman. Mm -hmm. Every time anyone talks about him, they're like, you know, you're like so attractive. And Dorian's like, no, I'm turning over a new leaf. It's good. And he goes back to see the painting and the painting is like even worse than it was before. Like the blood has dripped down to his feet. He's like evilly smirking. And he realizes that him trying to break it off with this girl was actually just him trying to make himself feel better and not about her at all. And he wants to like get rid of this painting because that's the only evidence that he is corrupt. Right. So he takes a knife. He stabs the painting. His servants hear a cry. They break into his room. They see a beautiful painting intact of their master, exactly as they last saw him, young, so, so hot. On the ground, they see an old, haggard-looking, evil man covered in blood with a knife in his chest. And they look closer, and they realize he has the same face, but older, of Dorian Gray. Mm -hmm. The end. What do you think? (sighs) Poor Basil. I actually thought that he was going to kill Henry as well, like kill the angel on the shoulder and the devil on his shoulder and then just do his own thing. Because at one point he tells Henry when they're looking for Basil, what would you say if I said I killed Basil? And Henry's like, no, that's impossible because you're too young and hot and... I would be able to see the sin on your face. I'm sorry. I just don't believe you're capable of it. No offense. No offense, but you're just too dainty. No offense, but I just don't see you doing murder. Like murder is just, it's just not giving murder. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I really like this book. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it reminds me of so much though? What? Another Victorian novel. Okay. And that Victorian novel is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Mm. Because he's this very attractive man who no one would suspect of doing anything. But by night, he goes and does these terrible deeds in the shadows. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like the struggle between good and evil and like human nature and there are two parts of ourself and his two parts are like him and the painting that is his appearance of his soul. Except this one's a little bit more messed up because the people that he is doing all this damage to trust him. He's like a Ted Bundy type character where they're like, oh, this attractive man would never hurt me. And they trust him and then he does hurt them because Mr. Hyde is like, he looks evil when he's doing evil things, but Dorian just is always hot. Dorian just collects the evil for the portrait. Yeah. Hmm. He picks it up to take it home. He uh, airdrops it. (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is published 14 years before this by a Scottish author. So similar time, different place. I don't think that it's like a ripoff of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, though. No. I just think that people in the Victorian era were so repressed that they just kept writing this story about like, what if we weren't repressed? And no one would know. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they can't do like normal things like hold hands or touch or be in the same room as a guy. They're like, but what if we murdered people, actually? They're like, "Mm, we can't just exist. So what if we made sure that nobody else could either? They like pent up their emotions so much that their emotions got too big. They were like, I want to kiss this guy. But what if one day I want to stab that guy in the neck? Same thing, basically, in the Victorian era. So these are like our great-great-grandparents, right? Uh, yeah, give or take. And then we wonder why we today need therapy. (laughs) Trickle-down therapy, man. (laughs) They really needed us to get therapy so much. Imagine where we would be in the world. If Dorian Gray had just had therapy, he would have been able to realize that, like, he should be nicer to Sybil Vane and this whole thing could have been prevented. It's funny that her last name is Vane. Because he's so full of vanity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was listening to another podcast that said Sybil is a word that means seer. So her death is the foreshadowing for all the other ill that's going to happen in his life. If he had just been nice to Sybil. Exactly. But yeah, what did you think? Did you like it? I did like it. I mean, I think my interpretation was a bit more comical. My pre-plot was a bit more comical, you know? Yeah, that he just can't look at the painting. Yeah. And it's just old and not evil. Yeah, and he's just a vampire. Yeah. Yeah, that's a different book, I guess. Um, But I liked it. I uh, Poor Basil. It is kind of, now that you mention the vampire thing, it is kind of surprising that no one was like, hey, maybe this guy who has looked 18 for the past 18 years, maybe something's up with that. This is like the time when Dracula had come out. What time, when did Dracula come out? I don't know. I'm not an intellectual. 1897. Okay, Dracula came out after the picture of Dorian Gray, seven years after. Do you think Mr. Stoker was like, hey, what if (laughs) Dorian was a vampire? Uh, Yeah. I've I've never read Dracula. No, it's based on like Romanian mythology, I think. Yeah, Vlad the Impaler. It's a little racist. Yeah, probably. The picture of Dorian Gray is also a little racist. And by a little, I mean a lot. I believe it. It's like very anti-Semitic. Ah, very Victorian of them. Mm-hmm. There's this Jewish man who runs the theater where Sybil works and the way he describes him is like, I can't imagine more stereotypes that you could shove into that paragraph. JK Rowling amount of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. 
cool 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 not cool actually it's very peak victorian yeah and he's anti-semitic later too i forget to whom there's someone else and then he's talking about like the savage tribes that he's collecting these artifacts from insert major eye roll here yeah wow so it's like you could be so much better yeah but instead you weren't why this one mr wilde like couldn't you just write a nice good oscar wilde would be upset about the brown and black stripes being added to the rainbow pride flag yeah but yeah on the plus side it's ripe for queer reading which we love we do we do like we, we will give it that we will also keep in mind that it's good not great could be better <laughs> so on a scale of just a hot sexy attractive young man to a haggard old painting covered in blood what would you rate this book amy that's the one to 10 or 10 to 1? 10 to 1, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, I've always preferred, you know, people with laughter lines, you know, who have seen a bit of the world. So probably like a nice middle-aged salt and pepper kind of person, you know? Yeah. Like a middle of the road. Someone who's like homely and you can like live with for a long time and not be like both annoyed with their appearance and also like intimidated by it. Someone who's like accessibly attractive in your league yes in your league salt and pepper man who has not murdered anyone yeah preferably no murders <laughs> actually murders are a red flag you heard it here first <laughs> i would rate it off the scale i would rate it like teen dorian before he gets to the painting mm -hmm. because i feel like while the story i think is very sophisticated the characters are so juvenile mm. And it shows a lot of, like, immaturity in them. Like where a pre-Henry like, Dorian? Yeah, like a pre-Henry, pre-Basil Dorian. Where Basil. You got me saying Basil. I fucked up every name. Because he's like, Sybil acts poorly. He loved this yeah. woman three seconds ago. And then he goes in, he's like, flinging himself down on the sofa. He's like, oh, I simply can't believe that you've done this to me. This terrible slight to me personally, acting poorly one time. Because you love me, no less. Yeah. <laughs> He, like, doesn't understand her. He's like, there's always something ridiculous about the emotions people one has ceased to love. So he's like, just a dick. <laughs> just a dick the whole time. He is a dick. Yeah. I think Henry is also very juvenile. I think he is not in touch with his feelings. When his wife divorces him, he's like, ah, I liked her a little bit, though. Oh, good for her. She, like, goes and marries someone who's actually into her. Good. I love that for her. I don't know what the terrible criticism could have been. There's like so many options for what it could have been that Wilde had to write this preface in response to. I don't know if it was like people were picking out the queer reading. I don't know if it was like, there's a lot of stuff about religion in here mm. where Basil's like, you need to repent. And Dorian's like, I'm kind of beyond that point, you know? Yeah. Dorian's like, there's no repenting here. The 19th century dislike of realism is the rage of Caliban seeing his own face in a glass. The 19th century dislike of romanticism is the rage of Caliban not seeing his own face in a glass. That's another fun little excerpt from the press. Oof. It's like so punchy. It is punchy. I'll give you that. Amy, would you give us your clean language, please? Yeah. So actually, my clean language this week is about not littering. Oh, that is very clean. It's accompanied by a funny story. I expect nothing less from you. So I was walking home from the farmer's market and I had a coffee cup because I bought coffee at this... Um, 
indigenous coffee shop we have support local so i have my coffee and i drank it and then it became iced coffee because it was fucking cold and i put it in my pocket when it was empty because i was like there's no garbage in this godforsaken city <laughs> so i put it in my pocket but as i'm walking it fell out of my pocket right so i have like the coffee cup with the lid and then a sleeve and the sleeve and the cup separate except it was fucking windy so i grab the coffee cup after like i skitter to try and catch it but the sleeve just keeps going so I try to run after the sleeve. I can't outrun the wind. No. I weigh a certain amount and the paper sleeve did not weigh anything. <laughs> so it just went. And I kept walking in the same direction because that's where I was going. And then some guy passed by and saw it running in the wind and it was like, oh, weird, that's going places. And then I kept walking and I kept walking and I lost sight of it. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, no, I didn't want a litter, but it's paper. Like, it's not the end of the world. But like, I would have rather picked it up. Yeah. And I get to this intersection and there is my paper sleeve waiting for me to pick it up. So I pick it up and then I get home and then I properly triage it into the bins it's supposed to go into. And that's clean language with Amy. I'm so happy that you found your biodegradable coffee sleeve. It was going so fast. It was so fucking comical. It just kept going. I'm just picturing the winds that we usually get in on Terrible. Yeah. Where it's like 70 kilometers an hour and you're just like <laughs> sprinting full speed after this coffee sleeve. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I feel like at that point it's like if the elevator doors close while someone's standing there, even though you press the button and you're like, I did the best I could. Like you could, you would have been in your rights to do that. But you know what? It waited for me. It was like, you know what? I had my fun, but I still wanted to be properly sorted for <laughs> what I am. It just wanted to go on a little adventure. Yeah, it was like, I'm just gonna make sure there's nothing, no obstacles for you to like fall down. <laughs> It was looking out for me. Um, anyways, it was like the most comical scene. Like it felt like it came out of a Ghibli movie. It's like Roadrunner. Also, yes. You are like a Looney Tunes character. So that's clean language. Make sure that you sort your things appropriately and don't litter. The other thing about recycling is that plastic can only be recycled a very finite amount of times. So reducing is a more effective strategy if you can. Reuse. But glass can be recycled infinitely. So recycle all the glass you want. Me bringing my empties to the beer store. Yeah. I decided with inflation, I would not just put them into the recycling. I would actually bring them to the beer store for that cash money. Do you get like a reasonable amount of cash money back for them? No. Okay. I usually give it back to like people who are asking for cash outside that plaza. That's nice. So you don't even get gas money. You're paying to recycle the glass. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine. I think that's it. That was a fun little novel. Next time we're doing some more OC Reddit poetry, which is going to be a big surprise for Amy. I have found the perfect poet for you. For me. I, ca I can't even tell you how perfect it is. The two listeners who are currently still listening are going <laughs> to be very excited for next week's episode. Get excited. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you have have any other suggestions for us to read please let us know we will probably be talking about poetry and then some shakespeare and then we'll try to do some comics yeah and then after that maybe some comics and then who's to say if you want to let us know what you think we should read or what you thought about this book or anything else in general you can find us on twitter and instagram at unsighted pod we would also love if you could give us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice because that's what it's called. Don't give me that look. Okay. Because we love to hear from you. I think that's it for us. We will see you in two weeks. And as always, we're excited. Unavailable. He was a very lovely fish. He was so loved.
And then we buried him in the rose garden in a jello box. And that is all you need to know about Dorian.